Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Every man is equally entitled to protection by law. When laws undertake to make the rich richer and the potent more powerful, the humbler members of society, the farmers, mechanics, and laborers, who have neither the time nor the means of securing like favors for themselves, have a right to complain of the injustice of their government. citizens as our first citizen. We invite you now to become better acquainted with one of America's greatest men. These are transcribed stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting, but little known events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. drama will begin in just a moment. Perhaps you don't believe in the kind of ghosts that are supposed to haunt houses. But, but there are other kinds. There are ghosts of words once spoken, ideas once held, personalities once present. Take, for instance, a tour of our nation's capital. Here, you think, Lincoln once stood as he pondered the problems of a country at war. Even as you look, your fancy conjures up the picture of that tall, gaunt figure stooped in thought. There, you muse, sat Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, discussing the future of the newborn nation. And as imagination takes hold, the powdered wigs and lace cuffs seem more real than reality itself. These are the memories, the all-pervasive ghosts of Washington. But for those of us who are unable to visit the Capitol, the same warm familiarity with the heroes of America's past is possible through the program, Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. So listen now and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Remember the old saying, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone? Well, that saying occurred to me many times while I was president, although there were some who thought I had a pretty quick temper. The job I had keeping my temper is just what this story is about. Now, the morning it all began, I was more grumpy than usual. My nephew, Andrew, who was serving as my secretary at the moment, was rather upset about it. Apparently, he'd been having quiet conferences with the doctor. Confounded, Andrew! Mr. President, I've been told, sir, on good authority, that excitement is the worst thing in the world for you. Oh, nonsense, Andrew. I'm as sound as a silver dollar, and you know it. I'm sorry, sir. We're only thinking of your own good. Have you read this report? This is direct defiance, if I ever saw it. Which one is that, sir? From New Orleans. At the height of the business season, when the businessmen down there need every cent of cash available, these these bankers are calling loans, refusing extensions, beating down prices at the top at all. They've had the unmitigated nerve to transfer more than a million dollars in specie up north to use for, for personal gambling and foreign exchange. Well, frankly, Mr. President, do you suspect they're doing this to embarrass you, sir? I know they are. 
They figure to put the entire burden on the local banks and leave me powerless to help. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I wish I had some suggestion to offer. I'll find a way to relieve that pressure on the local banks. If they force my hand, I'll withdraw every deposit of government funds from the United States Bank and put every penny in the state banks. Hmm. Yeah, sounds drastic, eh, Andrew? You say the least, sir. Well, sometimes the threat of impending action can be as effective as the action itself. We shall see. Now then, anyone outside? <laughs> as if the presidential waiting room were ever empty. The one gentleman is waiting from Mississippi, Mr. George Poindexter. George Poindexter? Well, 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 we'll have to have that rascal in right away and at once. Well, come on in, George, you old devil. Well, Mr. President. Come in here and quickly now. You haven't changed, I see, or, or rather, I... I hear. <laughs> Still shouting at Donaldson, eh? Uh, I'm afraid I am, and at everyone inside. <laughs> Will you need me, Mr. President? Oh, in the largest sense, always, Andrew, but for the moment, no. Oh, thank you, sir. Mr. Poindexter? George, it's good to see you. The proverbial bad pennies, huh? Oh, no. In trouble again? Well, not exactly. I, I wouldn't have come to bother you about this. There's but... no bother where an old friend is concerned. In fact, one will get you three. I can tell you what's on your mind. You'd never offer odds like that unless you knew it was a sure thing. So, no bet. But go ahead. Well, you'd never come all the way up here from Mississippi just for Senator Carter's funeral. So I think I see the senatorial gleam in your eye, George. You want the appointment to the seat he left vacant. Sharp as ever, Mr. President. Well, I see no reason why you shouldn't have it, George. There are some folks back home who seem to have some few reasons. Oh, what, for instance? Well, for one, I killed a man once. Oh, so did I, George. In fair fight, as you did. Some people think my fight wasn't fair. George, unfortunate things happen in every man's life. No one need be punished forever. Thank you for that, sir. But, uh, well, there's that matter of my having been married twice. You know how they are in Mississippi about things oh, like that. nonsense, nonsense. My wife had a husband before she met me. People talked about that, too. Oh, forget it, George. It's far more important that you spoke out in the House in favor of my military decisions, and I know I can count on your support in the Senate as well. Trouble ahead, sir? Mm, not ahead. It's here. The bank, as usual. Up to tricks again, are they? Frankly, George, I wouldn't mind merely financial shenanigans. But when they try to influence the United States Senate against my appointments to the board of directors... Well, George, that's a little too strong for me to take. You know you can count on me, Mr. President. I know. And you know that I'll exert every pressure I can to influence the governor of Mississippi to appoint you to that vacancy in the Senate. I need my friends there. And you are one. Yes, Andrew. Two, two items, sir. A dinner invitation by messenger from our new Senator Poindexter. And a young fellow named Sam Gwynn is waiting. Oh, you remember the boy, don't you, Andrew? Well, slightly, sir. His father used to bring him to your house back home. That's right. Will you see him, sir? Why, of course I will. And since you remember him from years back, you may stay for the interview. Thank you, sir. All right, Mr. Gwynn. The president will see you now. Thank you, Mr. Donaldson. How do you do, Mr. President? Oh, fine, fine, young fellow. Just fine, Sam. You know, every time I see you, you get to look more like your father. Well, I take that as a compliment, sir. You should. Tell me, how are things at home, my boy? My wife's about the same, sir. No improvement. Mm-hmm. And your own health? 
No change, sir. The fever I picked up in the wars recurs like clockwork. Ah, bad business, that fever. Uh, look here, Sam. If you lived in a warmer climate, wouldn't it help? Well, only my wife, sir. In fact, the doctor says a warmer climate is about the only thing that would help. But you know how it is. When I might have been getting a real start, I was in the army. Not that I'm complaining, sir. Don't misunderstand me, please. I haven't misunderstood you, Sam, since you were a little nipper. See, come to think of it, I may have the answer to your problem. There is a job open. Register of the land office at Mount Salus, Mississippi. Mount Salus, Mr. President? Something bothering you, Andrew? If I may, Mr. President, I think I know what's occurred to Mr. Donaldson. Well, you do, do you? Uh, yes, sir. After all, I was born in Tennessee, and I live in the District of Columbia. It's customary, isn't it, for jobs like this one to go to residents of the same state? Oh, don't be foolish, son. Just because you can't vote here in the district doesn't mean you haven't the right to serve your country any time, any place, in peace as well as in war. You just run along and forget that idea. As soon as the Senate gets through confirming you, you'll be on your way to Monsalus, and good luck to you. How can I thank you, sir? Don't thank me. Just do a good job. Well, I promise to do my best, sir. And thank you. From both of us. You're entirely welcome, my boy, and Godspeed to you. Well, Andrew, why so glum? I'm thinking of Senator Poindexter, sir. He may feel he should have been consulted. All nonsense, Andrew. Whatever I do is all right with him. Incidentally, Andrew, send my acceptance of the senator's dinner invitation. I'll tell him what's up while I'm there. Here, Frank, you know I don't believe a word you're telling me. I'm positive, Mr. President. Once I get my hands on documentary proof... Which you never will, Frank. Blair House is an excellent publishing firm. But I'm beginning to think that those novels you, you're putting out have affected your political thinking. Get back to the newspaper, Frank. George Poindexter turned against me. Why, that's ridiculous. I'm having dinner with him tomorrow night. Very well, sir. We'll see. You bet your life we'll see. Now, what about the new directors for the bank? Well, Johnson and Tiemens will serve, sir. Connors can be talked into it. As the government's representatives on the board, they can block some of the action of Poindexter's friends at any rate. Mm, you sound doubtful. It's not these men I'm doubting, sir. I still don't believe that the Senate will confirm them. With George Poindexter to lead the way... Against them, Mr. President, against them. They won't have a chance. What am I going to do with you, Frank? Yes, Sorry, Mr. President, this seemed important, sir. What is it, Andrew? There's a message from Sam Gwynn, sir. Senator Poindexter had his appointment to that Mount Salus post referred back to committee. What? Yes, sir. Now, will you believe me, Mr. President? What can I say, Senator, that will help you to change your mind? Nothing, Gwen. It's not myself, sir. If I have something left over from the war, well, there are plenty of veterans worse off than I. But my wife, sir... I'm a busy man, young fellow. Please, Senator, please listen a moment. My wife has consumption, sir. Only a warmer climate far from the cold winters and hot summers of the district can prolong her life. Then go to a warmer climate. Well, that's it, sir. I can't. We don't have the funds. Your friend, the president, has funds. He's reputedly a wealthy man. Senator, I have never been a pensioner. 
I do not feel I have any reason to become one so long as I can work. And permit me to say, sir, that there isn't a veteran from either of our wars who doesn't feel as I do. Sentimental claptrap, boy. You're wasting your time. Find some other means for getting south. This one is not for you. Definitely not for you. Mr. President, I am honored to have you as my guest. Careless of Joseph not to take your hat and cane. I didn't permit him to take them. And I'm not your guest until I have a few answers to an equal number of questions. I'll try, Mr. President. George, are you or are you not opposing my nominees for directors of the United States Bank? I'm afraid I cannot say. I have yet to see the list of your nominees. And what about Sam Gwynn? A milksop who pleads for a job as if his wife's life depended on it. George, Sam Gwynn gets that job. That job belongs to a citizen of Mississippi. That job belongs to a citizen of the United States who is qualified for it. Preferably a war veteran. Sam Gwynn fills every one of the requirements. I do not think so. I do, George. I expect confirmation of Sam Gwynn and of my slate for directors of the bank tomorrow, with you showing the rest of the Senate the way. Not tomorrow, Mr. President, nor any other day. George, I've always considered you my friend. I place country above friendship. Implying thereby that I do not. If you want to take it that way. Well, there seems to be no other way to take it. Very well. Huh. A little power can make a very large head, it seems. That cuts both ways, I believe. I know you thought I'd be your man when you helped me to this appointment. Well, you've been fooled, Mr. President. I supported you once, but only once. Never again. Ring for your servant, if you please. Not before I tell you once and for all, Mr. President, that you've gone over my head once too often. I'll not run to your beck and call. I'm on the way up. You are on the way down. I see. I'll not forget this, Senator. I think one day you will find out that while I'm a good friend, I'm a hard enemy. Good evening, Senator Poindexter. just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. It is said that no man is a hero to his contemporaries, and that has also been true of several of our presidents. Now, thanks to the Mr. President program, we see many of our chief executives in a clearer light. We understand something of their personal problems. President Grant, for instance, has taken a lot of criticism. The not-too-well-known facts explain his actions. Grover Cleveland has never been cited as a great national hero, but on at least one occasion, he showed unusual courage and didn't talk about it. Many books have been written about Lincoln, but you'll hear stories on Mr. President that have never before been dramatized. The Mr. President research staff is responsible for this material. Yes, it's these little-known stories and the distinguished performance of motion picture star Edward Arnold, who plays the principal role that make the Mr. President program a highly listenable series. And now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. (laughs) 
have you figured out yet who the president was when all this happened? It really did, you know. It was one of those periods when time seems to get away before you turn around. The weeks passed so rapidly it was impossible to keep track of them. One bright spot was the confirmation, finally, of Sam Gwynn and his job in Mississippi. Apparently, George Poindexter had other fish to fry, other matters he preferred to fight me on. The basic issue, of course, was the bank. I had been elected on a platform pledging elimination of the almost illegal operations of the United States Bank. Poindexter blocked every move I tried to make in that direction. He used the Senate as a rostrum to attack me, and before very long, the newspapers sympathetic to the bank were working closely with him. Still, I hesitated to make any overt move against him. I wouldn't condemn him on his past, and I wanted the solid facts about his sudden wrecking of our friendship and the reasons behind it. That's the way things stood on a spring night when I went to bed early after a trying day. I slept soundly enough. Who is... What is it? Is somebody there? Who's there? What do you want? <laughs> Where are my slippers? Where are my robe? Where's my cane? Gone! Mr. President, Got you all right? What happened, sir? Well, well, someone was in here, Andrew. I scared him off. Did you see him, sir? Only his shadow against the window. Could it have been that curtain, sir? Curtains don't laugh, Andrew. And they don't slam doors when I'm downstairs. Well, I'll notify the guard. From now on, there'll be a sentry at your door. Oh, no, they won't. I won't have the country thinking their president can't take care of himself. But if that gentleman ever returns, he'll get a warm reception. From now on, I sleep with a pistol under my pillow. And I know how you feel, Mr. President, but with the feeling of the country running so high, thanks to your dear friend Poindexter, you can expect that fellow, whoever he was, to try again. Poindexter won't stop at one attempt. You're suggesting, Frank, that Poindexter... Himself, no. But there are many guns for hire around the country, even here in Washington. Oh, it's ridiculous. George Poindexter may be a rascal in more ways than one, but he's not capable of suborning assassination. How can I convince you this man is dangerous? Show me evidence, Frank. This man is supporting your enemies in the bank. That's not evil. A man may change his mind. Yes, he may. Mr. President, I came to see you about another matter. Poindexter is up for election. The term he was appointed to fill out is over this year. Do you intend to support him for election? Well, I'll have to think about that. I assume the Blair newspapers will oppose him. You assume correctly, sir, as we oppose the bank. Speaking of the bank, you'll be interested to know, Frank, that I'm making my move in that direction. A drastic one, sir? I'm ordering the Secretary of the Treasury to remove all government funds from that institution and place them in various state banks. The same order directs an immediate investigation of all books and files of the bank. I'm going to turn over a few rocks, Frank, and see what starts to crawl when sunlight gets into dark corners. Poindexter? Thank you for seeing me so promptly, sir. What's on your mind? You've ordered an investigation of the United States Bank. I have. Why? I've had word of malpractice, to say the least, in the operations of that establishment. For instance? Use of government funds to gamble in foreign exchange. Ridiculous. A trumped-up charge. We shall see. 
Is that all? This matter of transfer of government funds to state banks. What of it? Just this. Tread lightly, Mr. President, or there may be charges against you. Such as? Such as depositing some of those federal funds in banks in your state. Banks which owe you much and are ready to discharge their moral obligations to you in any way you desire. That'll be enough. Quite enough. Use that door behind you, Pondexter. Use it quickly or my cane may find a better use than merely assisting my passage to the White House. Who wouldn't dare? Mr. President. Nothing's wrong, Andrew. The senator was just leaving. Weren't you, Senator? Good day. I thought I heard a shot, Mr. President. Merely my cane, Andrew, in contact with the top of my desk. You know, Andrew, I'm tired. I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm almost 20 years older than Warren Davis was, but I'm still alive and fighting. And tomorrow I'm going to his funeral. What does it mean, Andrew? That only the good die young? Fine eulogy, Mr. President. Rather pointed, though, don't you think, Frank? Pointed? Yes, the uncertainty of life, especially for the aged. Do I seem aged to you, Frank? You seem pretty rugged, Mr. President. Hmm? For my age? Mr. President, that fellow with the beard, he has a pistol. Back, everybody. Stand back. This is the one chance to save us all. They sure teach you something. Oh, oh, men with pistols will I'm sorry, I missed. The man is mad. of our country's troubles. Take him away. You're certainly missed entirely, Mr. President. Come on. Both his weapons misfire, thank heaven. My cane, where's my cane? Here, sir. The fellow won't forget that beating in a long time. I guess not. Good hickory in this stick. Shall we go, Frank? And Andrew said I had a light calendar for an easy day today. I wouldn't have come to you, Mr. Blair, but no one seems to be able to do a thing with the president, sir. He actually believes that his cane and that pistol under his pillow are sufficient protection. Well, the president is not famous for his willingness to listen, but I'll do what I can. Incidentally, uh, have you heard the latest on that fellow Lawrence? He is insane, isn't he? Yes, and where he can do no harm. His latest claim is that he was the rightful heir to the British crown and that his attempt on the president's life was merely to prove his right to England's throne. However, be all that as it may, I have some evidence with me this morning to which the president may pay some attention. Uh, good morning, good morning to both of you. Up early, aren't you? A little, sir. From that frown, Frank, you've something important to discuss today. I believe I have. Will you read these, please, Mr. President? Mm-hmm. As you see, they're addressed to Poindexter. Oh. Huh. That's interesting. One man plans to cane the cabinet. Hmm. And the other likens me to Caesar and suggests Brutus's fate. My only impression is that Senator Poindexter is encouraging attempts on your life. Only insofar as his injudicious utterances are affecting unstable minds like Lawrence's. What more can you want, sir? Haven't you turned the other cheek often enough? I won't fight on his ground. When will you have your own to fight on? Uh, I've not been wasting any time, Frank. I think Andrew knows that. Yes, sir, of course. But when will you have your ammunition? I have it, I think. At breakfast this morning, I sat with my investigators of the files of the United States Bank. They brought me these. 
You see, you have your letters, Frank. I have mine. Listen. Mm, Sam Carson, congressman from North Carolina. Quote, The president of the bank called on me yesterday and said that he promised you a statement of the arrangements and so forth, which will be evidence in your possession of the nature of the deal. That, Frank, is addressed to George Poindexter. And here's one from the president of the bank himself to Poindexter. You apprise me of your wish to substitute the name of J.S. Johnson for that of Colonel Towson on the bill discounted for you. The necessary instructions have been forwarded to our cashier in Washington. Great heavens, that sounds like bribery. So that's why he changed so suddenly. How could he? Apparently he did, Andrew. And those are only samples. In fact, it seems all this was part of Poindexter's plan when he asked me to help him to become a senator. And you, I suppose, sir, are going to let him get away with this, too? I think not, Frank. I rather think not. Let me print those letters. We'll break him, sir, absolutely and forever. And smear the senator of the United States in the process? This man is an exception, Frank, I'm sure. We may have senators who are mistaken, honestly mistaken men with whom we disagree, but I will not have them tarred with this brush. There's no use using buckshot when a rifle will do the job. I learned that on the frontier, Frank. It works in politics as well. What then? Possibly the upcoming election, Mr. President? I think so, Andrew. Frank, I'll not permit the use of these letters. But I will permit you to start a campaign against Poindexter. And I shall not lift a finger to help him. I think that will do it. I know that if the results are what I expect... They will prove my belief in the people of our country. The people in their wisdom will reject Poindexter in November. I have no fear of the outcome. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Behind the pose assumed for cameras, presidents are human, too. And you'll get a greater understanding of the men who have lived in our nation's White House when you hear Edward Arnold starring in Mr. President. The Mr. President program is based on little-known stories of the man America has known as president. You'll hear the intimate details that were bypassed in epic-making headlines. Mr. President is sometimes dramatic, sometimes tragic, but always sympathetic. It's a program that removes the pedestal from our famous leaders to reveal them as they were, human beings with great understanding beneath their political veneer. So join us when we present Mr. President with Edward Arnold playing the title role every Wednesday evening over most of these ABC stations. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. A toast, Mr. President. Why not? Go ahead, Frank. To our success in defeating Poindexter in Mississippi. I'll drink to that. And so will I. <clears throat> and now, gentlemen, if I may. Go ahead, sir. To the democratic process which permits the people to reject rascals like Poindexter once they know the truth. Amen. Ditto, Mr. President. May I say, Mr. President, that your forbearance in this situation has been almost unbelievable. It's quite simple, Frank. 
If I have one more ambition, it is to go home and end my days in peace. Let's say that this ambition leads me to restrain even my temper. However, I have two principles which guide me in situations like this one. First, the basis of our common law. A man is presumed innocent until the evidence proves him guilty. The second is to be found in the words of the Apostle John. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Please allow me, sir, to say that the proudest thing in my life is that I have been permitted to serve my uncle, Andrew Jackson, President of the United States. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. Mr. President, produced and directed by Ted Toll, was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by Ira Marion. Heard in the cast were Paul Richards as Sam Gwynn, Bill Hudson as Andrew Donaldson, Jerome Sheldon as George Poindexter, and your narrator Ted DeCorsia as Frank Blair. Our story was based on incidents in the life of President Andrew Jackson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This program came to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network.